God is good all the time. Amen. Well, we can all just go home now. <laughs> We're just sharing stories and, and celebrating. Um, today, um, After this, after this service, our family is actually going to go to the uh, graveside of Janice's mom, who passed away one year ago at Mother's Day. It was actually May eighth, but you know, it was on Mother's Day, and so um, yeah, it, it just seems to be that theme of of death, but also the hope that Jesus Christ has gone before us. Um, understands us, remembers us, and has experienced the things we've experienced, but also, you know, has passed the threshold into the mysterious unknown ahead of us. And we take confidence in the fact that we can take steps forward knowing that he's gone before us and also that the Spirit is with us just as Jesus promised to comfort us and to empower us. And, uh, the Holy Spirit, I, one of the things that Jesus talks about when he ascended was, I am sending, right? Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And at the beginning of Acts, we see that the people are in the room, the upper room waiting, the disciples of Christ waiting and praying, waiting the Holy Spirit. And we can imagine that they're behind closed doors just as they were post-resurrection, maybe hiding from persecution, maybe in fear, but also waiting in anticipation. And then, boom, Pentecost, and then there's this, boom, empowerment and this great sending, this thrust of the mission of the church, the advent of the church, and then the disciple making of disciples to the nations and it's really exciting uh, when the spirit is moving because people understand in their heart languages, gifts are bestowed upon people, folks in the margins are given voice and are saved, and, uh, and the gospel goes out outside of cultural and ethnic boundaries and goes to the ends of the earth, and, and that's what happens when God's spirit is moving, amen? And so at Renew, that's what we get excited about. We get excited about not to be our own enclave or our own clique or our own birds of a feather flocking together, but because we're excited about meeting and eating with and hanging out with the fullness of God's family, amen? And we haven't even met brothers and sisters that we have because we're all in God's family and we're on that journey um, to meet our family members, our siblings, our brothers and sisters. Um, and so I'm excited about that. And we continue in our sermon series, Living in the Resurrection. What does it mean? What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And uh, what does it mean for us as believers today? And we're also following kind of Renew's three R's, and this is the third R, which is hashtag relevance. And uh, I'm going to read about relevance from the three R's of Renew. 
breakdown, but I need it to go into port uh, landscape mode. <laughs> so I can widen it. So what is relevance? Relevance is relation or pertinence to the matter at hand, practical and social applicability. The word, Jesus Christ, emptied himself, became flesh, and came to us down to our level where people were at. We are called to embrace the submerging character of Jesus Christ which necessitates a ministry that is not driven by bringing people into a church building, but by being ambassadors called to bungee into immersion among people in our families, communities, workplaces, and schools. Renew seeks to be a people committed to living missionally as a gospel-centered community. At the same time, we want to engage people within the context in which they live and meet them where they're at. We desire to humbly be salt and light in our contemporary culture by articulating clearly and creatively through preaching, teaching, testimony, and mentoring with our lives, with our actions, what it means to be God's people and disciples of Jesus. By recognizing, mentoring, empowering young emerging leaders, and by creating space for artists and the arts, um, as well as honoring people's vocations and sending people out into the workplace, into the marketplace. <laughs> uh, we strive to live in the tension of being both faithful to the Bible and culturally engaging and compelling. We want to live out our faith in the world and present the gospel truth in thoughtful, engaging, creative, and compassionate ways. So today's scripture, we're in Acts 17, 16 through 28, and I'll, I'll read it section by section, but basically in context, if you remember, Paul was going to go into Asia Minor, uh, but then he sees a dream, a vision, a man um, in Macedonia saying, come over to us, come over to us. And this is right after uh, the Jerusalem Council where they're figuring out Paul's kind of evangelizing to the Gentiles and the Jerusalem church is like, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, all these people are coming into the way, but we got to make sure they, you know, have the right doctrine, have the right theology, you know practice the right practices, make sure they eat the right foods, and they finally argue it to a point where they're like, okay, here are three main points, you know, don't eat blood, you know, blood from animals, and whatnot, and whatnot, oh, sexual immorality, stuff like that, and, and basically, okay, we, we kind of, we endorse this ministry of Paul to the Gentiles, and we accept people, and here are our non-negotiables, and so, the spirit, but Paul is like driven by the spirit, and he's continuing to go out to the outer banks, to the outer boundaries, and continuing to press and have this kind of conviction and passion because, after all, Jesus himself gave him a vision, like, be, right, be an apostle to the Gentiles, preach my gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he's moving, he's moving, he's moving, and he sees the 
this dream, which turns him around, and he goes to what is now Greece. And in Greece, and this is chapter 17, uh, they continue to run into uh, not, the, not the people, not the Gentiles, but the Hellenist Jews, right? Uh, the, the Greek Jews who are disagreeing with Paul and, and, and the, the other disciples. And so uh, they get chased from town to town, right? Just violent, like, threats. And they get chased from town to town. And finally, um, let me switch to my other notes. And finally, uh, Paul gets to Athens while, Sil uh, while Silas and Timothy um, are in another place. And he's going to Athens and he's going to wait there for Paul and Timothy, or Timothy and, who did I say? Silas and Timothy. Um, and so Paul was waiting. And I'm going to start at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day uh, with those who happened to be there. Uh, we'll stop. I think that passage is on the next, the next slide. Oh, no problem. Um, and then the next slide. Did I have the Epicurean part there? Can you go back? Go back. The first shorter scripture. Oh, never mind. I'll keep reading then. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what is this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul is waiting, and the first kind of thing I want to pull from this is, what do we do when we're waiting? Like when we're, maybe we're on vacation, or we don't have to work, or maybe it's kind of a pause in life, or maybe we're waiting for God to say something to us. We don't have a game plan. We don't have our marching orders in life, and we're just waiting. I know what I do. I binge that show that I've always wanted to watch, right? That's what I do in my idle time. Um, but uh, Paul is actively waiting, right? Paul is pushed in, uh, to, to explore the city of Athens, to explore the culture, and also to engage the thinkers, engage the religious people, engage the philosophers in the place. He's driven to, you know, converse, and then ultimately to engage people with the gospel. And uh, we know that first he goes to the synagogue. So this is like the Jewish synagogue. And if you go to the top of uh, Acts 17, you, uh, it reads that he, every town he goes into, he visits the synagogues and preaches or has dialogue, conversations um, as 
was his custom. That's what it says. So it was Paul's custom, wherever he went, to first go to church, right? Or go to the religious place. Go to the religious place with the Jewish, where the Jewish synagogue was and engage them in conversation. And um, I don't know about you, but um, you know, when I was in college, I kind of stopped going to church. Um, and the reason I stopped going to church was because, oh man, church is so fake in my mind, from my experience. I had a chip on my shoulder, I had bad experience, I had some church hurt, I was running away from my family. And church to me represented those fake, hypocritical, religious people, right? And I grew up in the Southern Baptist uh, tradition, which there was a lot of rules, right? I remember, uh, my parents aren't here, my dad, you know, <laughs> breaking my, at that time we had cassette tapes, right? And I don't know if there are CDs yet for all of you young people out there, breaking my brother's cassette tapes of like, their Beastie Boys and like rock music and stuff like that. And, and back in those days, it was like rock music is, you know, bad. It's not Christian, right? You, you can only listen to Christian music and stuff like that. So that kind of religious culture, right? Religiosity just um, based on tradition. And it's actually just a culture, right? It's not necessarily biblical. It's not necessarily Kind of, this is what God says, this is what scripture says, but we all have experienced church culture or Christian culture or kind of religious culture, right? Amen. Maybe that's why you go to Renew because, no. Um, but Paul is engaging the synagogue, and perhaps this is where kind of one end of the spectrum, where it's the religious culture, where uh, maybe the worship, the traditions, and the rites are centered around an ethnicity, right? Or being Jewish, or Jewish traditions and laws, or Jewish nationalism, right? Like this, this where religion kind of surrounds a state or a nation, or, you know, this is who we are as a people. So he engages that on one side. And then right after that, what does it say? He goes to uh, the Agora, which in Greek, Greek is the marketplace. And it's more than just like pipe place market. Maybe you can go to the next slide uh, with the picture. Well, that, that'll be in a second. But the Agora is just this marketplace and there's temples and there's you know there's marketplace but there's also it's the center of politics it's the center of ideas the exchange of ideas and remember greek philosophers right there's it's the center of philosophy and even our passage says you know people did nothing but talk about and listen to the latest ideas right it's the marketplace it's the exchange of ideas it's the center of power and influence and culture. And Athens at this time, they were uh, owned, they were conquered by the Romans, right? But they were still, so they were not at the height of their power, but they were still the cultural center. So that's why, you know, like you get the, the Greek gods, but then you have the Roman versions of the Greek gods, right? So the, the Romans loved the Greek culture and they kind of, you know, what do you call it? 
appropriate, there we go, appropriated Greek culture. And, uh, uh, sorry, my mouth is a little, I gotta do mouth exercises. Um, appropriated Greek, Greek culture. And, but Greece is, was still, Athens was still the center. And here in the marketplace, all these ideas uh, are going on. And so Paul goes from here, the religious spot, to, right, the marketplace. And engages with people, right? Talks about all the newest ideas. And here we see, like, Paul, Paul's diversity, right? Paul's versatility. Like, Paul can go... What was Paul? Paul used to be a Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? So he, he knew uh, he was a Pharisee. Uh, he knew kind of the, he was in the center of Jewish religion, but he was also a Roman citizen. He could roll, you know, with um, the Gentiles. He could ro roll with the Romans, and he could go from different cultural contexts, the rich and the powerful, the religious elite, right? He could go and navigate those waters. And so Paul, being very diverse, uses a gift of who he is to be able to engage people where they're at and speak in their language, speak um, in their terms. And so he stands up and he says, people of Athens, well, they take him to the Areopagus. Help me pronounce this, which means the hill of Ares. And you know who Ares is? Ares is the god of war, right? And in Athens, there's all these hills, right? And on top of the hills, they built these temples and idols um, to Athena, to Ares. And so on this particular hill that they're going to, it's the hill of Ares, which the Roman name is, uh, for Aries is, Mars, right? So Mars and Hill, that's where you get, some people say this is the Sermon on Mars Hill. So if you've heard of churches that say Mars Hill, like, why are they called a planet, right? <laughs> like, actually, it's the Hill of Aries, right? The Hill of the God of War. Uh, but on the Rockbugus, um they, there was also a group called by that name of the place, but it was basically a council. And it would be like the equivalent of the Sanhedrin, right? Remember the Je Jewish Sanhedrin with all the Pharisees and the scribes who had a diversity of convictions, even opposing convictions, but they stood as a council that judged different things. Um, in the same way, this is kind of the Greek version of the Sanhedrin. Um, they're called by the place's name Mars Hill, uh, but the council itself is also Mars Hill or Arapagus. And so they take him there and he speaks. And can you go to the next slide, the picture? I just wanted to show the picture. So this is the marketplace, the Agora. Um, so you can see this is a recreation, it's not a photo because. Uh, soldiers, public meetings, slave market, shops, the Agora. There's people at the temple on the steps kind of talking about the newest things and philosophy and whatnot. And then in the background, you see the Parthenon, 
uh, or the Acropolis, right? And here's another picture at the Areopagus where they're kind of arguing things and discussing uh, the ideas of the day. And that's where Paul is taken to. And once again, you have the background uh, of the Acropolis um, back there. So he's there. He's in the center of it all, in the middle of the people, right? The elite thinkers of the time. And he stands up in this meeting and he says, people of Athens, I see in a very, in every way that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. At some of your own, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So when we start off in this passage, it says Paul is kind of agitated, right? Because of all the idols he sees in Athens. And if you, even in today, if you were to visit Athens, there's the ruins, and it's just this immense kind of ruins, but all of the idols, all of the temples, all of the kind of elevation of the gods, right? The, pan, the, the pantheon of the gods. And so Paul, seeing these in their glory, is agitated. And you would think in this agitated kind of agitated state, you would go and just throw down on people, right? You guys are, this is wrong, this is bad. We have, I worship Yahweh, the God of the universe, and you worship whatever, this pantheon. But instead, what we see is Paul entering a dialogue, and in this dialogue, he finds common ground, right? He even says, I was walking around and I saw this altar built to an altar to the unknown God. An altar, a pagan altar, or an altar that was a part of this uh, polytheistic culture, he's actually lifting it up and using it as a conversation piece, finding common ground to then say, yes, let me tell you who this unknown God is, and then as an open door, an opportunity to preach the gospel, to offer the gospel. And some of us might be like, what? Like, you're using something pagan to talk about Jesus? Like, that's weird. What is that all about? But I think what Paul is trying to do is connect, find common ground um, in terms of the humanity, right? We are all humans. We are all children of the Father. Look at, look at his language, right? He talks about we're, we come from the Father, one person who made everything, 
from who all the nations and all the peoples come from. Let me tell you about this person. Are you with me, church? Therefore, since we are God's offering, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. But basically, Paul is kind of turning things in reverse because what we tend to do is put be anthropocentric, right? Put humanity at the center of things. And, and that's what kind of the Greek gods were about. They all had human characteristics, and there are many of them, right? And they had their little human squabbles, right? They were jealous. They fought. They, you know, they favored certain humans in a war against other humans, right? And the gods fought. They were limited, right? They, they, they faltered. They weren't like the God of the universe, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who's benevolent, right? Who is the one who loves us, who gives to us, right? So instead of a hungry God who craves our sacrifices because, oh, I'm ravenous for what people can give, so I'm going to take from them, right? We have a God that loves us, right, that died to save us. And so Paul is flipping the script on that. It's, it's not about what your hands have made, essentially. It's not about silver and gold. The divine beings aren't made up of this stone and the silver and the gold and all these idols and all these monuments that, that you have. But actually, God is the creator of all these and the creator of you and me. And so we should worship him. We should worship him. Not an image made by human designer skill. And then he ends with, as your poets have said, we are his offspring. Right? God doesn't come out of us. Right? We come out of God. God doesn't come out of us. We come out of God. And that makes us together. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? I'm looking at the time, and we're just going to close it down. Um, last slide. <laughs> relevance. What does relevance mean? I think relevance means to engage the marketplace, to engage our culture, to engage the places where you're at. Yes, we come to church to worship. We come because it's a safe space. But a lot of times, as Christians, we come to hide from the world out there, right? The world out there is bad. It's safe in here. Let's build our own little culture, right, so that to protect us from what's out there. But that's not the intent. From the beginning of creation, God said, go, multiply, right? Be a blessing to all nations. And then go. Make disciples of the world. Go. Be fruitful and multiply. There's the same kind of go and spread, not to dominate, not this kind of imperialism, but God's kind of kingdom of love spreading, right? Go. Go. And so relevance meaning to engage the marketplace. What does it mean, right? To do ministry or to be faithful is not just 
the sacred, you know, becoming a pastor so you can preach at church, right? Or becoming an elder in the church so you can serve in the church, right? We're all called. It's the, we're all called into ministry, right, to make disciples of the nations. And so that gives validity to your occupations, your vocations, the places where you live, the places where you learn, right, the places that you play, the gym, right, wherever you go, Jesus is going before you, and the Holy Spirit goes before you, and some of you may be thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not like Paul, I'm not a Roman citizen and a Pharisee, right, I can't just get up in the middle of the marketplace in Starbucks and be like, hey, what about Jesus Christ, or I'm not one of those people that just talks to people on the airplane like Paul, right, like Paul Cabellian, right? just talk to people in the airplane, right? Like, I don't have that, right? I want, when I'm in the airplane, I just like, you know, like, I need walls. Like, I don't look at people so they don't talk to me, right? It's like, not any of, not all of us are extroverted. Not all of us are orators, right? Is that what it means to share the gospel? No, right? All it means is to open your heart and be open to what the Holy Spirit is already doing wherever you're at. As Tim said, Jesus goes before us. The Holy Spirit has gone before us, planting seeds, working in people's hearts. All we have to do is engage. And there are relationships that you guys, each of us have already built. I, I play ultimate Frisbee. I've built relationships with those people. Right? You may work in Amazon, right? This, there's Amazon. What, what do you, which one's this? Starbucks, right? The roaster, roastery, whatever it's called. That's the Google Kirkland. That's Microsoft. That's uh, UW. That's Pike Place. But these are all kind of communities or the centers of things. UW is the center of learning in our area. Right? Or where is your center? Maybe your 24-hour fitness, right? I also go to Orange Theory, which is a cult of its own, right? It's like <laughs> Orange Theory, you know? You do, you do like treadmill and weights, and then you do rowing. But they like take, take pictures, brag boards when it's your birthday, and everyone takes a picture with you. Like you get to know people. Right? In all of those places, we are the church. Right? That's Athens for us. We're the places where activity is happening, connection is happening, conversation is happening. We don't have to have it all put together. We just have to engage. Right? Are you with me, church? So relevance is to engage out there art, through music, through philosophy, through debate, through just loving for the common good, and then just finding a way to say it's because of Jesus, right? That, that brings us all together. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who, who's very gifted and did a lot of things 
as an apostle to new places. And sometimes those stories can be intimidating for us because we don't have that kind of reach or we're not that gregarious or we're not that powerful. But your spirit goes before us and you're calling us to bungee cord jump um, into the places you're sending us, the places we are in everyday life to engage with the gospel and give us words to say in the right moment, empower us to act, to love in the right ways at the right times um, because you love the people that we know and you're bringing them into your kingdom. In Jesus' name.